right, yeah, so I'm Trina Tebow, and um, it's great to see all you beautiful gals here tonight. Um, thanks for coming to Cross Life. Um, it's encouraging to see a bunch of new faces as well. Um, so let's just open up in a word, word, of, word of prayer real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for this evening and for a chance to come together as women and study your word, Lord. Um, study the text and um, find what you have laid out for us in Scripture. Um, Lord, we pray that tonight we would handle your word accurately and correctly and um, that we would treat it with respect. Um, in your name, amen. How sweet will it be when we enter into the glory of the Father, when he exchanges these lowly bodies for ones as glorious as his own. What joy there will be when we see his face for the first time as he tells us one by one, well done, good and faithful servant. Now it is my hope that this will be a reality for every one of us here in this room um, today. And I know many of you here have already received the Lord and Savior, Lord as the Savior as your life and are growing daily um, by being faithful to him. And so this can be a great challenge at times. I recognize that. Um, but I believe the Lord commands us to grow in many areas of Scripture, um, especially in the one we will be doing today. And so a lot of you were here at the beginning of the summer um, when Tanner laid out what a parable was, but I know a lot of you also were not. Um, so when we come into our parable today, we have the parable of the wheat and the tares. We won't actually be looking at the dragnet. We will be looking at Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Um, but, so when we looked at a parable at the beginning of the summer, um, we saw how Jesus chose to teach in parables in order to conceal the mystery of the kingdom. Um, so, right here in this text, we enter right after Jesus changes from a more straightforward teaching of the gospel and truth to... And he was also performing a lot of miracles in front of big crowds of people. And then he changes to parables. He changes to these stories that relay the truth of the kingdom in words that many people cannot understand. And so his disciples are confused. They say, Jesus, why do you do this? Why do you choose to hide your truth from these people? Um, so if you would look with me at Matthew 10, 13, 10 through 17, I believe that this tells us the answer why Jesus chose to teach in parables. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. 
Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So here Jesus quotes a passage from, um, a prophecy actually, from Isaiah 6, um, verses 9 and 10. And he shows the disciples that because these people have closed their eyes and closed their ears, it is not for them to reveal the truth of the mystery of the kingdom. And so when we come into this text today on the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, we are coming in on the second parable Jesus taught on a series of seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. Um, So let's begin and look at verse 24. It says, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, Here we have this parable laid out for us. It's this story. Um, We don't really know much about it until we really know the understanding of what it's talking about. Now, thankfully, um, Jesus chose to explain this parable. His disciples come up to him later and say, Jesus, what does this parable mean? The parable of the wheat and the tares? We have no idea what you're talking about. And so Jesus very openly explains the parable step by step, which is awesome for our case because it gives us a more clear understanding of how to study this passage and because we know that we are um, studying it in accordance with how Jesus taught it. Um, And so let's take a closer look at verse 24, which says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, what is this kingdom of heaven it's talking about? The kingdom of heaven would be the heaven that we hear about, like heaven and hell, that kind of deal there. So a lot of people were wondering, what is this kingdom of heaven? How do we get there? And so this is important stuff. Listen closely because Jesus is choosing to reveal this to us. Okay, and we go on further. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed, Now, who is this man who sowed good seed? Um, Take a look over at verse 37. We're going to kind of be jumping back and forth between 24 through 30 and then 36 through 43 because 36 through 43 is where he explains the parable. So take a look at verse 37. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Perfect. We have (laughs) a perfect linear track right here. So... Here, Jesus references himself 
within the parable. He points out what role he plays within this story. Um, so he is the one sowing the good seed. And I would also note that he references himself as the son of man. This is a very humble term for God in flesh, the son of man. So I just wanted to point that out to you guys. And so then we go on further. A man who sowed good seed in his field. So what is this field? Look at verse 38. And the field is the world. So here we have this picture of Jesus. He's sowing his good seed in the world. So now what is this good seed he is sowing? Um, look further into verse 38. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. So these good seeds are the people, the sons of the kingdom of heaven. And so now, think about it. What are good seeds? Back in that culture, the good seeds would have been the best seeds. They would have been of the best quality. They would have been planted in the very, very best soil. Um, and so now, think about it here. We have this perfect owner. We have this perfect field planted in the best soil and the best seed there. We have a perfect world. Relate it back to Genesis 1, where the Lord creates have, or he creates the earth, and he places perfect people on it, and everything is perfect. But most of us know what happens next in that story. So let's move on um, to verse 25. It says, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. So the first question we might ask is, what is a tear? So back in that day, a tear would have been a weed. And this wasn't just any kind of weed. It wasn't just a little dandelion you find out in your garden or whatever that you can just pick up. It was a weed that looked exactly like a stalk of wheat until it had fully grown, until the fruit became evident. It was, so this would have been a very, very destructive thing to do for someone to plant tares in a field of wheat would have basically destroyed the field because it wasn't until the harvest that you could tell which one was a tare or which one was a wheat. So what this enemy is doing here is very destructive to the owner of the field. And so what is a tare in reference to this story? Verse 38 again at the end. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And so this would have been unbelievers. This would have been the sons of the devil, the ones who follow his doctrine. And so, who is this enemy they're talking about? Verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So, the devil is sowing his destructive doctrine and those who follow these ideas into God's field or the world. This means that he is instilling these ideas within the world and within the church and they might look just like God's people and like just like his ideas just like his truth just like the tares look just like the wheat his ideas might be extremely similar but we know that this is very destructive um first Peter 5 8 it should be on the side of your notes sheet there says be of sober spirit be on the alert your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
The devil's doctrine and his ideas are not being spread around, obviously. He prowls around. And note that he um, sowed his seed. He sowed the tares at night. He is not openly attacking this owner. Um, it's a very, very destructive. And so we are called to be on the alert, um, be of sober mind, be focused, be ready, um, be aware of what this doctrine is so we can distinguish truth from what is not truth. And so then, going on in our parable, um, let's see the end of verse, tw- verse 25. Um, came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And so, these tares are being placed on the world with the sons of God. The kingdom is now tainted. Sin has now entered in the, into the world. And so then, we continue on. Uh, verse 26. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And so, once these seeds begin to sprout, they begin to realize, wait a second, not all of this is wheat. Not all of this is in line with the truth. And so, Matthew 7, verse 15 through 23, it's also on your sheet, um, or you can turn to it if you'd like. It says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. And so, so it is within the church. Um, Once people have been there for a while, what is in their hearts starts to reveal itself. Um, A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So it is with the hearts of evil people. They will not be completely in line with the people of God. Um, And so it is with the sons of the truth as well, sons of God. Um, The good fruit will, or the good plant will produce good fruit. Their lives will be characterized by what is in their hearts. And so then we carry on to verse. 27. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? So the slaves go out in the field and they're taking care of it and they begin to realize, again, there's something different about this. This isn't all wheat. And so, who, are, who would these slaves be? Now, our Lord doesn't give us an exact definition of who these slaves would be. Um, however, I would not say that they are angels because he gives a definition of who the angels are later on in the text. Um, so I would say that these workers of the field, these slaves of the field, would be pastors and elders in the church because they are working hard and laboring. Um, they are tending the flock. They are taking care of the field here. And so they go to the landowner and say, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Um, And so they begin to recognize 
this deceit in the world, they begin to recognize the hypocrisy of some of those in their church. And so later on, the Lord says to them, an enemy has done this. So the Lord tells them, the devil has placed these people into the church. And what do they respond with? The slave said to him, do you want us then to go out and gather them up? Now, from our perspective, wouldn't it be the best idea for them to go out into the field and pick up these tares, try and be sure that they pick them out while they're still young, while they're still little, um, so they can get rid of them, so that when the harvest comes, their field will be healthy. That seems like a pretty great idea, doesn't it? But what does the Lord say back to them? No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. And so here we see the great concern that the owner of the field has for every single stalk of wheat. Um, He doesn't want the slaves to go out and start picking people out or picking these tares out of the field for fear that they might um, think that a stalk of wheat is actually a tare. And so it is in the church as well. When we hastily determine another salvation, we may be incorrectly condemning them. It is for the Lord to determine the hearts of men. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It is for the Lord to determine this. It is not for us. It is not for the stalks of wheat or for the slaves of the field. It was simply for the Lord. And so, um, he gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, what does this mean? We see this verse fulfilled in the next part of this parable, which says in verse 30, Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into the barn. And since um, our Lord very eloquently lays out the explanation of verse 30 um, in his explanation of this parable, um, let's start reading at the end of verse 39. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. And so, here it is, guys. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven revealed to us. So I would encourage you to pay close attention to these verses because this is the truth that the Lord chose to reveal to us, chose to reveal to his disciples, but he hid it in the form of a parable to these multitudes. And so, first off, In the beginning 
of verse 30. Um, he says that the wheat and the tares are called to grow together until the harvest. Um, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the enemy are called to live together in the world until the harvest. And so what is this harvest he is talking about? In verse 39 he says, And the harvest is the end of the age. And so we are called to live together, unbelievers and believers, until the day the Lord has chosen to come back. And we are called to live, or live together through the droughts, through the winds, through the storms, um, through the floods of life that may come. And so what does he say next in the parable? Um, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so we said before that these slaves of the field were the pastors and elders of the church. Here um, we see the angels mentioned in verse 39 at the end, very last sentence there, and the reapers are angels. And so um, this idea might be a bit more literal than we'd like to think. Revelation 14, 14 through 16 says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your stick, sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now this isn't necessarily the angels themselves reaping the earth. Remember before how we talked about how the Lord knows the hearts of men. He, it is for him to judge that. The Lord is literally harvesting the earth here. Um, in the end times, Jesus will separate from the, the believers, from the unbelievers, based on their hearts. And so, there are two very different outcomes for the tares and the stalks of wheat. Um, it says at the end of verse 30, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. Verse 40 through 41 describes what this looks like for the unbelievers. It says, So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. And so, this is a very difficult truth to recognize. Um, many really struggle with this idea of the Lord sending people to hell. Um, but it is not my words whatsoever. It is the Lord's. Um, and so, what is the outcome of the wheat? What will, they, what will happen to them um, at the harvest? It says, gather the wheat into my barn. And so the wheat is to be collected by the reapers. It is to be gathered into the barn. It will be under the care of the owner of the field. 
It'll be in his protection, in the protection of the barn. It'll be away from the wind, away from the drought, from the storms of life that might come. Um, And so, it says in verse 43, the literal outcome for the believers. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so this verse here, it speaks of the glorified bodies that we will have when we enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, It is a fulfillment. This verse here, you might have it capitalized or in italics or something. It signifies that this is a prophecy from Daniel 12.3. And so these glorified bodies, that'll be amazing to come into the glory of our Father. Uh, Romans eight sixteen through 19 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Wow. It's very exciting to look forward and see. Because right now, we are on the earth. We are in that field. We are being hit with those storms, with the wind. It's tossing us back and forth. It's difficult. But one day we will shine in the glory of our Father. And then, Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. There will be a physical transformation of our bodies, um, and we will be like him. We will be in the conformity with the body of his glory. So what does the Lord say to his disciples? The very last sentence, he who has ears, let him hear. Now I believe that this passage sets forth two very different applications for believers and unbelievers. For the unbeliever, God does know the heart, and he will judge based on whether you are a wheat or a weed. Um, There is a significant difference when the end of the age comes, and those who do not have a personal relationship with the Lord will be separated from him for eternity. And again, this is a very hard truth, but very clearly outlined in the scripture, specifically in this passage. And now there must be a radical heart change to change this piece, change this tear into a stalk of wheat. Um, And now it is not a change you can make on your own. It must be done by the Lord alone. And God must become the central focus of your life. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It is a heart transformation. 
Now, for the believer, there is a separate application. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It is not for us to determine who is worthy of heaven and who is not, but rather for the Lord alone, who knows the hearts of men. And we are called to show no partiality. The Lord placed us in the world to grow with the unbelievers for a purpose. And biblical principles call us to treat one another with love and respect. And along with this, we cannot give others false assurance. We cannot lead them to believe that they are saved when really we cannot actually tell. And so while their fruit may give us strong evidence on whether or not they are true followers of the Lord, we are simply called to be faithful. Faithful to handle the word of the Lord correctly and faithful to teach others and faithful to the Lord of the harvest himself. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. We have been revealed a great mystery. Um, if not, you, if you haven't learned it beforehand, right here we have the mystery of truth revealed. And we are called to be stewards of this mystery. And so, I guess I would ask you and myself several questions after studying this passage. Um, am I a stalk of wheat or am I a tear? Um, is there someone in my life who I have either condemned or given a false sense of assurance to without trusting the Lord to know the condition of their heart? I know I have. And that's pretty scary. And am I handling the word of God and the mystery of truth diligently by sharing it with others and through personal faithfulness to the Lord? I know I'm not always faithful to the Lord. And so I would like to close in prayer this evening as we think on these truths. Lord God, uh, we come before you this evening um, not knowing entirely who we're coming before, but knowing that you are worthy of our praise, that you are holy, righteous, and just, Lord. Um, and we thank you. We thank you for your truth, Lord, and we thank you for um, revealing your mysteries um, of this truth through your word. Lord, I pray for um, changed hearts, Lord. I pray that um, for the unbelievers in this world, that they might see your truth, Lord, that they might um, have their eyes opened to your word. And, um, Lord, change hearts. Um, and, God, I pray for um, the believers um, in this room as well as myself, that we might be faithful to your truth, God, that we might be sharing it with others that we might be handling it accurately. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.